Welcome to the podcast version of Robots in Depth. This episode's interview is with Søren Peter Johansen and is produced in cooperation with Vivolver. Robots in Depth is supported by Aptomica. Visit aptomica.com to connect. You will find all past episodes and more on robotsindepth.com. Welcome to this episode of Robots in Depth. Today I'm honored to have Søren Peter Johansen, technical manager of DTI in Odense in Denmark here. And as usual, we're going to start talking about how you got into robotics. When did you start to discover you can build robots that go out there and do stuff? Well, I'm actually 50 years old, so uh, 50 years ago or 40 years ago, there were not that many robots. No, I would presume so. But I was technically interested. Uh, I know know, uh, we had an old TV set, which didn't work. Then we had another one, and I started actually to... uh, start uh, looking into these TV sets and uh, then suddenly I had one TV set working. So two TV sets not working became one <laughs> TV set actually working. So I became very interested in these uh, in these electronic devices and as time goes <laughs> when I come to high school I meet my first uh, PC or first computer <laughs> Uh, so instead of having French lessons, I, you know, sneaked into the computer room, sat there, and made my first computer programs. I can tell you that I did exactly <laughs> the same thing, and we were even so conevious that we actually broke into the room, <laughs> and eventually the, the the teachers realized that we weren't abusing it; we were just mm-hmm. using it, and uh, they realized it would be very hard to stop us. We were really good at getting into that room and mm-hmm. uh, staying there for as long as possible so they simply gave us the key mm-hmm. and yeah. nothing happened nothing bad happened for four years so that's a very good place to start <laughs> then you went from from electronics to robotics when did that happen well i actually went to the university where i studied computer science and physics because still it was a long time ago and there were no robot technology educations in this area so i might say that was as close as you could get on robotics Hmm. Uh, I started a PhD study, but uh, suddenly I had no more money, so I had to look for money. And uh, uh, actually one in my family started up a blacksmith company uh, doing some simple machinery, and I got to work at him for 14 days. And in these 14 days, you know, I just had this dust of gold coming over all his machines when he... uh, uh, added a PLC, hey, Søren, could you add some program to this machine so it could do something smarter, uh, faster, uh, more useful? Hmm. And it, it, it became small miracles and customers say, wow, this is a fantastic company. Can you deliver some machines to us here and there? And then suddenly, you know, I actually skipped my PhD and started working with robotics. Mm. In the best way possible, where there's a customer demand. Mm-hmm. You, there was a customer demand and you could meet it. Yeah. Could you talk about some of those early projects? Because I guess that's the, the beginning of the robotics era. Yeah, the early projects, my early projects was in the electronic industries uh, because uh, it, it was kind of uh, automated at the beginning with pick and place machines, but they needed a lot of handling equipment to actually. Uh, get prints in and out and to mill out uh, smaller prints from the big print boards, etc., etc. So um, suddenly I, wa- I was in a situation where a customer asked me, 
could you, uh, on basis of our cat drawings, actually mill out the smaller boards for mobile te- telephones? And I said, uh, yes, I hadn't got a clue about w- w- how that should work. But then suddenly we had this task uh, and they actually paid us money up front. So then it was started. Fake yeah. it until you make it. Huh? Exactly. <laughs> it can be a risky strategy, but I'm thinking we're all done it sometimes, right? Uh, and then if you really focus and, and, and really de- delve into this, I did this when I started the, this, this um, interview series, you really have to delve into it and really focus on it. And then it isn't so much faking it until you make it. It's kind yeah. of willing it into existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you did that there. Uh, and then I get, did you continue to work in your own business then? Or? Yes. Uh, then I actually work at developing more and more advanced autom- automatic machines automation. And, and then uh, robots became available. And then it was off, off with actually to take in robots in, in these solutions as well. Meanwhile, uh, I. Uh, left this company, started my own up, uh, started an other up with some more uh, of these people that I met in the in this industry and uh, we became a company of 15 employees or so. Hmm. Um, and then uh, we delivered a, a, a lot of automa- automatic machines and, and included robots in these machines. Uh, and I, I found it very exciting what you actually could do with robots if you could add on some fancy software. Uh, And then, uh, six years ago, uh, I went uh, into DTI, Danish Technological Institute, because I could see here was really a chance to to get to play with all brands of robots and in in all levels, uh, from uh, commercial uh, projects to uh, Horizon 2020 projects, where we could really play a lot with robots and and future possibilities uh, that you can use robots for. Both practical application and theoretical yeah, exactly. fundamental yeah, research yeah, and yeah. all in a nice mixer. Yeah. And then find what, what was best in these theoretical uh, projects, mature them into something that you could actually sell uh, for money to the industry. That's very exciting. Mm-hmm. So you've been with the Institute now for six years. Yeah. Uh, could you tell me a bit about the projects you've been working on during those six years, starting with the earliest ones? Uh, the earliest Just take one the one, best yeah. ones out of these <laughs> six years. Uh, yeah, I remember one of the first projects I had here. I came here first day I asked for a really uh, a difficult projects. I, I want one of your difficult projects. I shouldn't have said that because I actually mm. got one. <laughs> and that was very difficult. <laughs> it was very difficult. It was about cleaning some solar p- panels. Mm. Uh, and well, that seems easy if you just have a solar panel standing mm. in a fixed place. Mm. But these panels were all over <laughs> on mm. mountains, on fields and mm. woo. Uh, but we actually ha- had a, a, we had some success. We actually managed to clean uh, solar panels. Mm. Because, of course, if they're not clean, they're not generating power. <laughs> no, anymore. but we actually figured out that if they're completely clean, <laughs> they work <laughs> worse than if they have some dirt on the surface. Yeah, uh-huh. that was very surprising and one of the... So you, you, and that <laughs> makes cleaning them hard, I guess, because you have to clean them to the right degree, right? You can't just <laughs> wash them off. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Which is odd. Uh, yeah. Do you know why uh, that was? Uh, uh, the, they had some theories about that this quartz mm-hmm. uh, material could take the sun from different angles and actually send them down to the solar panel. But mm-hmm. they were not that sure. 
Ah, that's a whole but, deal. But you know, uh, uh, it was a quite interesting project because about robotics, uh, when we're talking about robotics, mm -hmm. robotics is about to actually try something to do something and, and see if it works mm. and then optimize it. And that's was this project was actually about that. So yeah. we did something, we got some results, and from there you can then fine tune and optimize. Yeah, this is the difference between, for instance, pure software or simulation, that when you go out there in the real world, mm -hmm. which robots, good mm -hmm. robots do, mm -hmm. uh, you'll discover the fact that a completely clean solar cell is worse than a slightly dirty yeah. one. And that's the stuff you could never mm -hmm. think your way through yeah. to. You have to go out there and do it and just get the experience. Huh? Another big difference be between uh, pure software and robotics is that in robotics you actually uh, you uh, interact with uh, the environment. Mm. <laughs> you you have uh, your sensors sensors uh, have to uh, recognize what 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 is here. What what light do you have? What forces do you have? Uh, uh, and uh, the robot interacts by pushing some mechanics. So you learn about a lot about processes. If you uh, you are adding a screw into into a screw hole, some, something like that, with a screwdriver, uh, you get some surprising results using a robot because it feels the small details on a screw which operators are not even aware of. So uh, that's very exciting, and and the combination of people who are good at software and are and are good at actually sensing their environment are. A Brilliant combination, and we are all good at sensing our environment. Yeah, because we <laughs> are that as human beings. Because right? we're born into it. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. So um, the idea of uh, developing uh, robot systems that can actually be instructed, uh, and I use the word instructed instead of programmed, but can be instructed by operators themselves, would really be beneficial for many companies. Mm. Uh, their processes, etc., and the operators themselves, because they could get some more exciting work to do. And they get working together with a robot is really no different than working together with your dishwasher or your washing machine. Yeah, it's yeah. just more more capable and and more intuitive to work with. Mm -hmm. So we already are cooperating with machines mowing the lawn driving a pushing a snowblower or anything uh, uh, driving a car yeah which is a very driving complicated a dangerous uh, device yeah. actually and we have then of course abs and uh, stability systems of different kinds that are helping us so this cooperating with robotics is not as odd as it might sound to somebody that that isn't familiar with the area uh, but it is going to be very powerful when the robot can do what the robot is good at exactly and the person can do what the person is yeah. good at do you see any progress in this area? Do you see any interesting projects that are being being worked on where mm. people and ro robots cooperate? Yes. Can uh, you describe them uh, a bit a, for a us? A new buzzword in robotics is collaborating robots. Mm. And collaborating robots are not uh, the term of two robots collaborating. It actually means that uh, uh, humans and robots are collaborating. Uh, and that's really the buzzword now. And uh, uh, I came late to this interview, sorry, <laughs> because I was out actually uh, 
fixing uh, some minor bugs on one of these collaborating robots. On a That's the only ex excuse we, we, we acknowledge here on the show. I was out there doing robotics. <laughs> then you're immediately and automatically forgiven. Uh, yeah, because that's, that's cool. And I, that's also the, the, the thing that everybody says, being out there working with robotics uh, in the field, trying to solve a problem somebody has. Uh, that's the fun part. That's the rewarding part. Exactly. What, was, what kind of system was not to doing what it was supposed to? Can you describe that for us? It was actually a sensor. Mm. Uh, uh, and sensors and uh, outcoming light is always a problem. Mm. So we have to shield the light somehow. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I know uh, many sensors struggle struggles mm. in the outdoor environment. Uh, and uh, um, and uh, that's because there's uh, still a, a difference between hu human sensors and uh, robotic sensors, because we have logarithm logarithmic sensors in here mm -hmm. so uh, we do not feel very bright light as bright as it actually is mm. but other technical sensors do so they are blinded by the light which we're not blinded off mm, they and need an iris the, the robots yeah <laughs> to adapt themselves yeah but also internally in the individual sensors ah. they are quite clever as well Oh uh, yeah, I mean the human eye and, and and other eyes that are available in nature are just amazing, and also our and image processing is is very yeah. impressive. Yeah, it is actually. Yeah, many 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 magnitudes more impressive than whatever computers can do right now. Uh, am I right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, our brain is fantastic in uh, in doing parallel processing. So if a fly comes out here, I'm I'm pretty sure I could say within. Uh, tens of a second that this is a fly, although I do not look directly at it. You just learned the profile of the sound yeah. and yeah. we could uh, tell the difference between a fly and a wasp and a bumblebee. Yeah, uh, everything. Also yeah. because we combine all our, all the input from our senses. Mm. So I can hear a bumblebee, mm. which has a different sound than a etc. Hmm. And we also use context to sort out the fact that it's probably not the helicopter because we're inside, yeah. right? Uh, and, and it's probably not a lion but a cat coming yeah. here because we have no lions. Yeah, when you hear <laughs> hoofs, think horse, <laughs> yeah. not zebra, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, if you're not in the Serengeti, then think yeah. zebra, not horse. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you, the human basic algorithms in vision processing but also the higher logic is is very advanced yeah so you're out there doing projects like the one that wasn't behaving properly can you talk <laughs> a little bit about what projects you're working on right now and opportunities and challenges you have in those we're working on a lot of different uh, projects actually uh, but we are primarily looking at collaborating robots we're looking at modular robots uh, we're looking at flexible robots, and now I will tell you what I mean with that. Uh, flexible robots is robots that you can use for more than just one task, because uh, many small-medium enterprises have small batches, and if you have a small batch which you have to produce in the next three days, it can't help you with a robot that it takes two weeks to program. So it should in itself be very flexible, so you can uh, adjust the program, and you can replace um, replace the grippers, for example, so you can grip different parts. Add degrees of faster. freedom, add yeah. sensors. And you should be able to do that quickly. Uh, uh, so that's the modular part. Adding new modules, new fixtures to, to hold your parts, new hands to, to grip and move your parts, and new software programs. So operators uh, at the lowest level in the factory actually 
can uh, quickly uh, change the behavior of the robot. Mm -hmm. Fascinating stuff, uh, really cool. Um, you also talked about there was modular robotics, software flexible robotics, and uh, collaborating. Collaborating. Collaborating means that you can actually uh, share your workplace mm -hmm. with a human or interact you closely can share with your the robot. Workplace with a robot. Yeah. Mm. So you can work on the same uh, workpiece, mm, mm. doing different stuff. Mm. And in order to do so, uh, the robot should, of course, be very safe. Mm. We don't want to, any accidents, huh? No. So they should actually be able to uh, feel, figure out if a human is close. So they could either do that by when they have contact, they can feel the contact, mm. do it very smoothly, and then return and say, okay, here's a human, I'll wait until the human is gone. Or they could do it with vision sensors, etc. So they could, if 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 we're talking about very uh, heavy robots, strong robots, they could stop moving if people come closer, and then they could start working again when people uh, uh, go go away. Mm, mm, mm. Now this is uh, fascinating stuff because this allows us to exploit the benefits, the, the strength of the human and the strength of the robot together. Mm -hmm. And that can really supercharge what we're trying to do. Huh? Yeah. What kind of applications are these co-robots uh, designed for? Is it production or is it field work or? Uh, right now it's, it, it's primarily production because in a production environment you have almost always fixed light <laughs> uh, and you have a fixed environment, you have tables, uh, which are flat instead of if you are talking field robots you're on a field which changes all the time uh, and you have uh, the climate is also a little problem because you have to design the robots so they can stand rain hail snow frost hot sun uh, and that it makes it more difficult but it, but in in a production environment you have you have a fixed environment so it's much easier to develop robots and that's why most robots are developed for that kind of environment and then they are then then you adapt it uh, later to other more advanced environments mm, to mm. make them work Mm. Mm. When we talk in factory work, is it more or less any factory work, or is it assembly or kitting or uh, what? Uh, what kind of work are you doing? Uh, what I'm, I'm, what I'm developing uh, robots for is primarily assembly, because mm. if we're talking about picking, picking and placing parts, that's more or less solved. Uh, as long as parts are in a fixed place. Mm. <laughs> and a very well known, the uh, general grasping problem is anywhere. Yes, but that's also to be solved mm -hmm. very soon uh, using collaborating robots. Because mm -hmm. um, there's um, there's a technique called bin picking, mm -hmm. which means to pick a part from a box where all parts are in a mess, mm -hmm. a random uh, pile, random, random yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's very difficult and very expensive today using robots and sensors for that mm -hmm. but we can solve it more um, easily by just adding all parts in in a plate uh, where they lay in one layer only one layer which makes it much easier for vision systems to identify individual parts and for a robot to pick them because they have to pick them in in the same height and uh, in order to do so operators could just take a, a bunch of parts and do like this put them in one layer and then let the robot do all the trivial stuff by doing like this every 30 seconds. Mm. 
And then you also get that that human both touch and, and vision processing and saying, oh, these components okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then the, the robot can go out and do the same motion 50 yeah, or exactly. 100 or 1,000 times. Yeah. And one operator could also service many robots doing this and, and keep an eye on things and keep an eye out for abnormalities because mm-hmm. humans are very, very good at spotting abnormalities. There's something going on there. I don't know exactly what it is, but You're I'm right. going to focus my You're energy right. on that. Yeah. We also also start uh, using robots for that mm. because um, we we can hear a sound. A machine goes do 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 mm. do 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 something's wrong. Mm. And now we we are opening opening the field of big data because mm. if if you had a computer system or a robot actually listening to the sound, it could tell you something. Ab- It's wrong here. This machine usually doesn't sound like this when it's doing what it's supposed yeah. to. And the robot systems could actually be better because they could also hear the little difference, which means that a bearing is about to break, mm. which might not be bum 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 over days. And humans uh, we adapt, do it more or less. We actually adapt to to a change, so we don't really hear it. Hmm. But uh, robots or computer systems could actually hear stuff like that hmm. and tell you, please fix this machine before it crashes. And it could also use sensors that we don't have for low frequency or high frequency. It could also use thermal imaging, for instance, and see this machine is getting hot. That's probably not a good thing. And we're actually using that uh, special uh, hmm. uh, technique to see uh, cracks in special parts because you can see that uh, if you heat them up, you can see it in the infrared uh, spectrum that this the, the that crack becomes visible. visual. Ah, the cracks the, become visual visual in the infrared. Yeah, yeah exactly. Very interesting, very interesting. Yeah, and uh, we have some other fields we are looking into, such as waste sorting. Mm, very uh, challenging problem. Yeah, because a lot of humans actually stand there, sort out all our waste. Mm. Uh, and we can do that with these advanced sensors as well, mm-hmm. because if you heat up uh, different materials, they cool down in, in, in different ways. Ah, so you can cool. use a flash to heat them up shortly, and then you can look at it with the infrared camera and see, oh, this cools down fast, so this must be paper, this is not that fast, must be three or wood, uh, this must be metal because this is still hot. Yeah, that's this really cool. This way you cool. can actually take a waste stream and then split it up in two and then do that vice versa down finer and finer uh, sorting. Yeah, that's cool. Could you also tell apart, for instance, glass and metal and different kinds of metal? Uh, yeah, you can actually do that. That's uh, cool. Some are magnetic and some react yeah. on inductive sensors and stuff like that. Really cool. So that that's a kind of a what you can call an active sensor when when the, when the sensor yeah, first yeah, could say transmits yeah. energy into the world yeah. and then looks at not the actual yeah. result but the change in the yeah. result. And that's actually one of our projects mm. uh, these days because we're trying to to uh, sort electronic waste mm. out, of, uh, out of standard waste because in electronic waste uh, the density of uh, uh, gold, for example, is ten times uh, higher than in these mountains uh, where we usually find the gold that we use. So the gold mine is now in her old yeah, TVs yeah. and computers rather exactly. than, so than in the mountains. Let's go for that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Could you mention some other projects that you've been working on over the years? Oh, we have 
been working out on so many. Yeah, take <laughs> the ones, take the, 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 the one that really surprised you with the result, maybe like the solar cell that you totally clean one. <laughs> something that surprised you, something that you found that you really uh, learned from. Uh, we have another project uh, where, we, where we're trying to use vision sensors to pick parts. Um, uh, and then we added uh, a force torque sensor on the hand. Hmm. And um, what we could see there is the vision sensor could tell us where to pick, but didn't tell us whether parts actually were overlapping because they, were, hmm. uh, they had a co uh, complicated structure. So we could only see the top, which gave us an idea where to pick just as a human when we pick stuff. Hmm. But when we pick stuff, we actually feel uh, that this is too heavy to be just one part, so mm. there must be more parts, and I have to do like this mm. in order to split them. Mm. And when we got this sensor on the robot, we tried to look at the data, and then said, ah, if we, if we use this kind of data, what could we do? And I f I, we, we figured out that maybe pin picking would be much best, better with, with the blinded eyes and just a, a sensitive robot hand that could actually feel stuff in, instead of a, a seeing robot with a boxing <laughs> glove mm. because it can't feel anything. No, that so, you and I can do that. If we can pick something up in the dark and exactly. know if our cell phone is attached to the charger because we feel the pull of the cable, and then we know either we have to be careful or we have to pull out the cable. Yeah, exactly. We can yeah, buy, yeah. buy the we feeling of the item. Grabs, grasp uh, two different parts and put them together. Mm. And what we do without thinking is actually we turn them in the right direction mm. so they fit when they come to it. Yeah, for instance, again, attaching your phone to the, cell, uh, exactly. to the charger in the dark when you go to bed. Yeah. Uh, it's and it's we, not a problem for us. No, we take this for granted, but exactly. robo robots have a hard time doing that still. Yeah, and, and other interesting projects is uh, to make better grippers, flexible grippers, mm -hmm. like our hand. But if you look at a, at a traditional robot arm, it has only six joints mm -hmm. that it has to control. And here, I guess we have, uh, I guess it's something about uh, 15, 20 joints. So a hand is much more complicated than an arm. Mm. But eventually, I guess we will have flexible grippers like this that can feel uh, stuff and manipulate stuff uh, while holding it. Mm. In hand manipulation, you and I can do it with a coin or with a rubber ball or something. Yeah. But robotics still, robots still are very challenged by that. Yeah. And you usually have to do that when you pick something up and you're supposed to use it in a process. Mm -hmm. Usually you can't, or sometimes you can't use it in the orientation you pick it up. You have to manipulate it in your hand to get it into the right yeah. position to do what you want to. Yeah. And that's still very challenging, I understand, from a robotics point of view. Correct. Both from the fact that the most advanced robotics hands are still not that good, mm -hmm. and also the censoring and the processing of those sensors is mm -hmm. still, still not where we need it to no. be to be able to do that. No. Um, and what could be really interesting is uh, if we uh, develop a system where we can use the knowledge from operators, uh, blue-collar workers, uh, to actually instruct these robots. Mm. Because it might be uh, my robot hand uh, can feel a lot of data, but uh, I'm not aware of which data, you are not aware, but we can look at stuff and if I grasp something and I want it, if it 
fit to something else and I know I just have to move, move it like this, you can just tell the system, move it like this and it will split up into, okay? Uh, so the robot do so and then it records all the senses, all the, uh, all the forces, etc. And then it can uh, store these forces and next time it's in here, it knows that if I'm, uh, if, if forces are like this, I have to do like this to split up. This way we can get operator knowledge into the robot systems in an easy way. Because if I, as an engineer, should program all this, I would be a blood bottleneck. But if this robot systems go out to a thousand uh, factory floors where you have 10 operators, each, each place suddenly you have 10,000 actually to develop these robot skills. Mm. And the robots can, of course, uh, share the skills between them much easier than humans can, because when one robot mm. in one uh, situation has learned something, mm. it will, of course, share that with, with, with other robots, and they suddenly know how to yeah, do it. Yeah, usually it will, of course, mm. maybe in the future we will have uh, robots that deal with each other. Uh, if a robot sees something, it says, has anyone else seen something like this before? What is it? What can I use it for? Uh, how do I split it? How do I assemble it? Etc. So uh, I guess in in 30, 30, 50 years, robots will actually uh, communicate a lot about these things, and maybe we will be the one to benefit because we're the one arranging the business of the robots. Mm -hmm. Very interesting, very interesting. And, and some of these problems are very challenging, but you're making good headway, and that's a very impressive. Uh, you have a wide and deep knowledge about robotics, in, in both in niches and in, in, in general. Where do you see progress being made? Where are we going to see uh, robots being used, maybe in our homes or in our businesses? Uh, we have the robotics lawnmower and we have the vacuum cleaner. Mm. I've heard about window cleaners. Where yeah. do you see the next one that's going to take that next step on the road to, to a robotic world? I would say that now we are in an era where robots become safer, so they will become closer to us. We will work together and uh, in the welfare sector, robots uh, may actually help us. It, it, it might give us uh, arms that we do not have. Very because, significant. Huh? Yeah, uh, you can have a third arm. Someone can, may have their first arm, which is much more <laughs> beneficial for them. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen those more advanced prosthetics coming yeah, out, exactly. and it's just uh, just amazing what, what, what we can do and how we can help the people that really need it. Huh? Yeah. Uh, and Towards that, independence. Exactly, in, in many fields. Very exciting. Mm -hmm. So, uh, can you tell me a little bit about how the Danish Technology Institute work? You're not uh, a research uh, university. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not a school. Or you, can you give me an overview of the center and how it works and how people out there that see this interview could cooperate with you? And yeah, we're actually a non-profit uh, independent organization. Um, uh, we are in research projects and we are in commercial projects because uh, we would like to uh, take a state-of-the-art technology. We would actually like to push the state-of-the-art technology. That's why we are in research uh, projects with other national and international research institutes. 
Uh, and uh, um, what we research in is chosen from what we see in the industry because the industry have some demands saying we need uh, flexible robots for example collaborating robots etc and then we can take these demands uh, uh, formulate them into some research projects get some funds from the EU for example develop some technologies mature the technologies and take them back to the industry hmm. how do you see I mean how do you see the trend when working with industry and working with do people or organizations with domain expert, uh, domain knowledge? Is it easier now to come and say, look, we've looked at your, your, what you do in your business. I think there's an opportunity for robotics here. Should we cooperate? Is there a difference in, in the end user uh, approach now or before, maybe like five years ago? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> it's still hard yeah. to convince it's them. It's still to hard, uh -huh. and that's why it's very important uh, to to get a good contact to these to these companies and bring them into the research projects earlier. They, uh, actually, yeah, uh, from the very start, actually. Mm. So it's so we're working on their cases, so they can see that the technology actually can solve their problems. Mm. 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 That's a good way to make the companies. Uh, Get interested in new technologies. Hmm. Get them in early. Show them that 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 there are solutions for yes, their and, problem. Uh, yeah, and uh, some actually focus on their problems. Hmm. 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 Because uh, the, a company more or less has to focus on on their immediate problems, otherwise <laughs> they'd be in trouble. But if yeah. they see that that this is, as we talked about before, especially for smaller companies, this is reasonably easy to implement. This is reasonably quick to implement. It doesn't. If if you're thinking, I want to make my, uh, I want to use robotics in my company. It doesn't necessarily have to be a multi-year, multi-million dollar mm -hmm. uh, project. You can start with. You could possibly start with with something small now mm. immediately here, and that solves a small or significant problem for you. And then you can work on from there. Huh? Uh, and today uh, in Horizon 2020, uh, companies are actually being paid to join because the EC have also seen the challenge of actually getting committed to companies in their research projects. Mm, very interesting. Mm. Yeah, I've always known that that um, the end user is a, is a very challenging uh, connection to make, but it's also a very important connection. it's crucial to, to get the real results. Yeah. Otherwise, it's, it's like driving a car in the dark. You don't know where you're going and you don't know if you're on the right way. No, and we shouldn't trust what we believe is the best for the industry. We should ask the industry, of course. Mm. And it has to be a collaboration because yeah. sometimes the industry doesn't understand what is hard and what is not so hard and what is achievable and not. Mm -hmm. uh, so this has to be a true cooperation. And, yeah. and you can take a, a project all the way from fundamental research all mm -hmm. the way to, to an, a commercially apply, uh, apply, a, a clip, applicable solution. Correct. Can you talk about any such projects that you've done that, that you, you got in touch with the end user, you did some basic research, you made a product out of that, and then you delivered it to whoever is using it now. Uh, I have a simple successful example. Mm -hmm. um, if we're talking screw driving processes, uh, I've been at many factories seeing uh, electrical screwdrivers like this, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, hanging all over. Uh, some companies uh, use, operators use 50% of their time just doing like this, and the rest of the time they uh, pick parts and place parts and do some assembly stuff. But this is the same. So why not just 
take this screwdriver, electrical screwdriver, a robot, a vision system, put them together, and you have the third helping ha hand that could do the screwdriving. Mm. So you could do some assembly, put it here, let the robot screwdriver mm. take it back, do something else, etc. Mm. So it will take all the trivial tasks, do that uh, in an efficient way, and you can do what is m more difficult for robots and perhaps more exciting for people. Mm, mm. Very interesting, very interesting. And that's, uh, the, we did that in, in some of our research uh, projects. We went to the industry, saw the problem, saw the demand, heard the demand, took it into a research project, and then uh, developed some technologies, simple technologies, but now it's actually gone back to the industry and they are started using these robots. So that's a fantastic story. Hmm. I also understand that the first robotic solution you sell into somebody that hasn't previously used robotics can be a challenge. You have to overcome many barriers and, and they really understand, have to understand that there is a clear and present use of these and a benefit from using them. Mm -hmm. I also understand that the second robot you're trying to bring into somebody is much easier. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed that? Have you had any projects with reoccurring yeah. partners? Uh, for sure. Um, uh, the first robot, uh, what we actually tell companies today is that the first robot investment is an investment in getting knowledge about robots. Hmm. It doesn't necessarily solve that many problems in the, in the production. But you get to know what is possible, what is not possible. Uh, you will be able to uh, figure out who of the operators are actually very interested in robots, who will come with the next idea and who will take that idea and make it into an interesting installation. Hmm. Uh, but you need a robot in the factory, in the production, to actually start that process. You need to, to show people that this is real and it's now. That's a, it, it's a quite a bit about what the show is about, to show, uh, to tell, to allow you guys to tell your story so that the viewer knows that it's real people, this is really happening, mm -hmm. it's not science fiction and it's not scary. And it, I guess that first icebreaker robot does this in, in a company or in yeah. an organization. Yeah. Yeah. It shows people that there's a cl very clear benefit. Yeah. <laughs> very interesting. Because five years ago, uh, many companies uh, had the feeling, or many human workers had the feeling that the robots actually took their job. I'm going to be fired <laughs> if, if we bring in robots here. So they all were a bit defensive. Um, but nowadays, it, it actually is the opposite. I'm talking to many partners, uh, stakeholders, also unions. And in some workplaces, uh, in some factories, it's actually uh, the blue collar people who are asking for more robots. Because it makes their lives easier and their work yes. day more productive. And they also know the alternative. Mm -hmm. Because the management say, more robots, outsourcing, more robots, outsourcing. And if they choose to outsource, mm -hmm. there will be no jobs left. No. <laughs> so the blue collar workers say, okay, might be we have to go down by 10% or something like that uh, in number of workers if we get robots. But we still have 90% of the workplaces. Mm. And if it's becoming a success, we will have to, to produce more because we can produce to a lower price, our productivity raises, uh, we will sell more, and then we will have to take in more workers. Mm. And that, I've seen that actually happened in uh, more places.
Hmm. Yeah, and that's w what I work with, and um, with this show, and trying to make, uh, trying to show people that robotics doesn't necessarily have to be scary. Mm -hmm. And we've also gone through these kinds of evolutionary processes many times before: the introduction of steam power, water mm -hmm. power, or electrical power, and um, many different systems. I mean, I heard the fact that in the early '50s there were 40,000 people going to work in, in New York every day as elevator operators <laughs> and now we have buttons instead it doesn't mean that everybody in New York is out of those 50,000 people are still out of a job or that their lives are worse it just meant that new technology come in could do something useful it yeah. was exploited yeah. and um, nobody claims to be worse off now no. anyway no I've, and al I've also seen statistics saying that 50% uh, of our jobs are gone in 20 years Mm. And I say thank you for that, mm. because they will become a, f a lot more interesting jobs for us. Mm. Uh, mm. If we go 20 years back, uh, and I say, please check check your email on your smartphone, mm. they would just say, what, what crazy yeah. guy. <laughs> uh, check, your, check your what on your what? <laughs> yeah. Because they don't know what email. The internet was even <laughs> no. started at that time. And now, how many people are actually working in that sector? Yeah, uh, on the internet, like a smartphone sector, etc. Yeah, to millions and millions these of these kind of technologies. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, this has been very fascinating. We've learned so much about what you do here at the center and heard about uh, research project and also commercial projects. So I'd like to thank you very much for taking the time to do an interview, and uh, I'm going to follow the work of the center and you as it goes along. Thank you for having me. I hope you liked this episode of the podcast version of Robots in Depth. This episode is produced together with Vvolver. Vvolver is a platform and community providing engineers informative content that help them innovate. It's how engineers stay cutting edge. Optomica is the founding sponsor for Robots in Depth. Optomica rents anything in modular robotics. Dream, rent, build. Visit optomica.com to connect. I'm your host, Per Sherboy. Until the next episode, thank you for listening.